We're going to begin by reading from John's Gospel, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or you can look on the screen, John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world and through the, ah, he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him Yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because He was before me. Out of His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Christmas is truly the most wonderful time of the year. It's the time where we celebrate. It's the time where we see friends and family. It's the time where we overeat and watch cheesy Christmas movies. Now, many of you will be heading home after this Sunday. So only a few of you will be at our Christmas Eve service. So I want to give you a bit of a peek, a little sneak peek into our Christmas Eve services. And so maybe this is your Christmas Eve service at Vintage, where we play a bit of trivia. I'm going to do that this morning, just to kind of get the Christmas vibes going, okay? So let me ask a question. What is your favorite Christmas movie? I'm going to read out five. Don't vote yet. I'm going to read out five. And then at the end, we're going to have a show of hands. You can cheer as we go, but don't vote until the end. Ready? Here are the five options. Favorite Christmas movie? Elf. Home Alone. It's a Wonderful Life, The Santa Claus, and Die Hard. Okay, all right, so hands up for Elf, quite a few. Home Alone, wow, more than I thought, It's a Wonderful Life, is even so far The Santa Claus, not many, and Die Hard, there you go, there we go, yippee-ki-yay, all, um, all right, next one. Favorite Christmas album. Okay, so this is, if you had to pick an album, this is a Christmas album, an artist who's not just done a Christmas song, but has done a whole Christmas album. 
Okay? If you had to pick one of these, which would you pick? Here we go. You can cheer, but don't vote till the end. Michael Bublé. The Charlie Brown Christmas album. Mariah Carey. Naki Cole. Or Amy Grant. Okay. All right. Let's hands up. Hands up for the Bublé fans. Charlie Brown. Mariah Carey. Always more than I think. Nat King Cole and Amy Grant. Wow. Showing our age there. Many are going, who's Amy Grant? Amazing. Okay. All right. But the best part of Christmas Eve is not the trivia, but it's, the, it's my every year introduction of my new Christmas dad jokes. Okay. So bear with me. You're going to love it. Okay. So here we go. What does Santa suffer from if he gets stuck in a chimney? Claustrophobia. <laughs> see, many, I see you writing these down. How does Darth Vader like his Christmas turkey? On the dark side. Okay, and who is Rudolph's favorite pop star? Beyonce. Okay, no, but here's some, here's some new ones. Here's some topical ones, okay? Here's some topical, because this year just hasn't been controversial enough. So here we go. Did you hear that production was down at Santa's workshop? Because many of the workers have had to elf-isolate. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Okay, but here's a good one. Why are Santa's reindeer allowed to travel on Christmas Eve? Because they have herd immunity. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. As you go home, as you go home, you can bring good cheer to Wichita or wherever you're going. I always use Wichita whenever I talk about anywhere other than LA. I don't know if that's the rest of America. Um, but Christmas is truly a wonderful time of the year. It's full of wonder. Lesser Mariah Carey or movies like Elf, they're great. But this morning, I want to encourage us as we head into the, into the Christmas season to never lose the wonder of the birth of Jesus Christ. To, in all of the tassel, the you know, the, all of the wonderful things that you do at Christmas, the tinsel, the pies, the turkey, I want to encourage us all that we never lose the wonder of the message at the heart of Christmas. This is what John is doing in the first chapter of his gospel. He opens in a very unusual way. It's not like the other gospels that open up with the birth narratives of Jesus. He talks about the narrative of the birth of Jesus in a different way. Because he wants to highlight the wonder of what is happening. That we don't lose sight of the staggering, shocking events that happened in that stable in Bethlehem. He begins, of course, with the shocking claim of Christmas that the Word has become flesh. That God Himself has come incarnate, taking on flesh to be with us, to be one of us. This is a crazy claim. No other religion would make this claim. That God, the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the all-powerful Creator God, has been born into his creation. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
He goes on in verse 18 to says, no one has ever seen God. We all have this feeling of there must be a creator to the creation. There must be something out there. But John rightly says, but no one has seen him until and but until the one and only son who is himself God has made him known. This is such a staggering, shocking, amazing, unexpected claim that the whole opening sentences of John's gospel are like John the lawyer presenting a legal argument for this staggering truth. He begins in verse 1. He begins in verse 1 with the words, In the beginning was the Word. And to a Jewish audience, this would have resonated and echoed back all the way to Genesis chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning God created. In the beginning was God. So John is opening his passage with an echo to in the beginning was the Word. Echoing back again that God created through his Word in Genesis chapter 1. So here's John is saying, look, in the beginning God, God's Word, the one and the same. That something is happening like the day of creation. And then he uses the word Logos to represent the word. In the beginning was the Logos. Now, this was a very unusual word for John to use. It was loaded with contemporary significance outside of the Jewish culture. In the first century, in the Greek culture, the word Logos had a specific meaning. It was used to describe the mysterious power or divine force out there, that the underlying power that sustained all things was known as the Logos. Whatever it is that you see the beauty behind the sunsets, the awesomeness of creation, there must be something that put all this together. And the word for that something was the Logos. And so in 500 BC, for example, Heraclitus described the Logos as the omnipresent wisdom behind all things. Or the Stoics described the Logos as the divine animating principle pervading the universe. So John is getting Jews and Gentiles together to go, look, I want to tell you the story about God or the ultimate power of all things, the Logos. In California, in LA, we, have, we don't use the word Logos, but we, we scratch on these same kind of principles. If you talk to people around where I live, down near the beach in Venice, you'll hear lots of things about divine energy and mother source and the universal being or whatever it may be, that we're all scratching at there's something out there behind the beauty and the wonder of this creation and this universe. Verse 1, therefore, is John drawing people in, drawing the Greeks and the Jews together around a universal truth that in the beginning was... The Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God, and this is uncontroversial. But then John the lawyer starts to take his argument in a radical, shocking, and staggering, and scandalous direction. You see, people would have expected John to continue his opening paragraph in this way. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The Logos was God in the beginning. Through the Logos, all things were made. Without the Logos, nothing was made and has been made. The Logos was this unknowable being. But that's not what John wrote. 
John wrote, yes, there's a Logos. Yes, there's a Yahweh. But he says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. If you were listening to this as a contemporary Jew or Greek, you'd be going, whoa, time out. Who's the him you're talking about? I can buy into the logos as some divine animating power. I mean, we, we watch movies like Star Wars and we all agree there's a force or something out there. But who's this him you're talking about? You're saying the logos is a him. And then he goes further in verse 14. He says, the logos became flesh and has made his dwelling amongst us. I mean, it's like, you know, who? The logos is here? The logos is flesh? The logos is, has become human? And then he goes in for his final argument. For the law was given through Moses, but now grace and truth has come through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The Logos has become flesh. The creator God of the universe, the one who holds the universe in the palms of his hands, is now dwelling amongst us. The one who, with a snap of his fingers, can move the stars into space in different configurations, has now been born in a lowly stable, into a poor family, in an overlooked part of our world. Do you see the wonder on what on earth is going on? This is a staggering claim. A staggering claim that has shocked the contemporary audience of the first century, and I pray still shocks us to this day. Whereas every other religion points to prophets that point to God, or points to wise men that talk about God, or point to gatekeepers to God, the Christian faith talks about God coming to us, coming into flesh and dwelling amongst us. J.R. Packer writes about this shocking claim when he says, the word became flesh, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the son of God was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. Never lose the wonder that the almighty creator of all things humbled himself to be born into poverty, into a stable, to be with humanity. I love that every time we hold something called Alpha, 
which is a course that we run on Tuesday. It's like a dinner party conversation for eight weeks where we allow people who don't know where their faith is at to come and explore faith, but also explore the foundations of Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his identity, there's normally a two-step reaction, which is I can buy into some kind of universal divine being of some sort, but I can't buy into this Jesus is God. I struggle with that. No way, man. Jesus? A man? And that's what exactly John is going out of his way to say, I know it's crazy, but it's true. I know it breaks all paradigms of religion, but it's true. And if it's true, it's wonderfully true. So John goes on to his next wonder of Christmas by showing that it's actually true. See, it's one thing to make it a wondrous claim, like God has come in the flesh to walk the streets and the fields and the valleys of this world. It's another thing for it to be true. But that's exactly what John goes out of his way to say in verse 14. He says, the glory, we have seen his glory full of grace, and truth. And in fact, John knows that this claim is quite a staggering claim and therefore needs staggering evidence for people to be persuaded. So he writes his whole book in order to back up the claim. See, in John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't think you're just going to buy into that claim. No one should. So he writes the whole book. We don't have time right now to go through the evidences that John writes, the evidences of the other Gospels, the evidence of history. And I know it's challenging because it's said that we live in a post-truth culture where any absolute claim of truth is met with suspicion, is met with cynicism. We live in the world where can you really believe anyone? Everything is either fake news or, or a fake news or a conspiracy theory or at best in our city, hey, dude, what's true for you just isn't true for me. But of course, none of us want to live that way for the important things of life. None of us buy into subjective truth when it comes to the foundations of life. I mean, just think about it. When it comes to just something as simple as your money, you want to know the truth of how much money you have. You want to go to the bank and go to Citibank and go, hey, I'd love to know the truth about what's in my bank account. It'd be concerning if the teller said, hey, yeah, well, what's true for you may not be true for us. (laughs) You know, sometimes we want to get out of the objective truth. You know, every time I step on the weighing scales, I want to say, dude, what's true for you? It's just not my truth. But of course... There is such a thing as objective truth. And the staggering wonder of Christmas is that Christianity is based on not subjective, this works for me, but the historical fact that this is objective truth. And it changes everything whether we like it or not. That the Logos has become flesh. That God has come to dwell amongst us. That Jesus is the revelation of the Logos or the universal divine power or the great consciousness that whatever word you have, 
that we kind of scratch and feel there's something there, the claim of Christmas. And John's saying it's true that this has become him. And we see the full nature of God in Jesus Christ. We explore a lot of of these things on Alpha, and I want to invite you to come. We start in January. If you're around in January on Tuesday nights, come join me and others just on a really beautiful conversation around these things because they're staggering and whether they're true or not. But I will just say that it is a wonder And the wonder is answered that it is true. I'm reminded of an interview that I read once between a magazine, a secular magazine, and Bono, the lead singer of U2. And they asked him this question. They said, look, Jesus has ranked among the world's great thinkers, but son of God, come on, that's far-fetched. Bono replied, well, it's not far-fetched to me. He said, look, the secular response to the Christian story always goes like this. Jesus was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, etc., etc. But actually, he said, Jesus doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Jesus says, I am God incarnate. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, or a complete nutcase. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a complete nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. Never lose the wonder. The claim is God incarnate, but it's not some, some subjective pluralistic, spiritual, that's true for me or true for you, but we can pick and mix. For all of us, the radical, shocking claim backed by evidence is, it's real. In Jesus, God has come. The Logos has been made flesh. But that's not the end of the wonder. Because He came, but the biggest wonder of all, the biggest surprise of all, the biggest shock of all, is not the fact that he came. It's why. Molly Ziegler-Hemingway wrote an article in First Things, and she wrote this. The deepest mystery of Christmas isn't how Jesus was conceived and born. It's why. Why would Almighty God care so much about losers like me and you that he would humble himself to take on human flesh and enter humanity at such a low station? As intellectually and technologically advanced as we've become, this incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is just as unfathomable to us as it was to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds and the wise men 2,000 years ago. Why? Why would God, who has no need, who is full of joy and life, why would he look at the world and not just move on? Why would he just not wash his hands? Why would he see the mess that we've created of this world and continue to make and not just leave us to our own choices? Why would he be born into poverty? Why would he give up his riches to be born into 
an overlooked stable? Why would he give his life to be treated by the ones who have rejected him? Why would he take away the power of his creative genius and put it into the hands of a broken people? Why would he allow himself to be betrayed by his closest, to be rejected by his family, and to be tortured by his people, and to be killed by humanity? Why? Why would he look at the darkness of this world and come into it? John tells us in verse 4, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. God, in His love, looked at the darkness of this world, looked at the greed, the pain, the suffering, the death, the violence. God, in His love, looked at the brokenness, the depression, the anxiety, the fear that we carry in our hearts. He looks at the broken relationships and the, the anger between humanity. And He doesn't just wash His hands. He doesn't say, well, this is your choice. You've got to live with it. But into the darkness and the death that we face every day, we have a God who decides to come and bring His light. We have a God who decides to come and replace death with life. In Jesus, God has come to bring us home, to heal this world, to set us free. One theologian summarized the whole story of the Bible in three great acts. Act one, we're at home with God. Act two, we're lost, away in darkness and death. And act three, home again through Jesus Christ. Why did God empty himself of the riches of who he was to take up the emptiness of flesh? There really is only one answer. You. You. For God so loved the world. So for God so loved you. Not only to come and bring light into your darkness, to bring life where there is death, but even more, the amazing wonder of verse 12, he says, and for all those who received him, he gave him the right to become children of God, to come into the family of God, to be adopted into intimacy, into love, into the joy of the household of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you see the wonder of what Christmas is all about? You can't study the incarnation without realizing that God loves us far more than we ever thought he ever would. That in Christ... God has come to bring us home. Donald Miller, who is an author of a book, Blue Light Jazz, many years ago, but many business books recently. I read it many years ago, and there was a very compelling story inside the book. Of He tells of a story that helped him understand the incarnation, to understand why God would do this. 
He tells the story of when he went to a concert, and the singer on stage himself was telling a story about a friend of the, of the singer. The singer was saying, my friend's a Navy SEAL, and told the story of one of his tour of duties. The folk singer said his friend was performing a covert operation, freeing hostages from a building in some dark part of the world. His friend's team flew in by helicopter, made their way to the compound, and stormed into the room where the hostages had been imprisoned for months. The room, the folk singer said, was filthy and dark. The hostages were curled up in a corner, terrified. And when the seals entered the room, they heard the gasps of the hostages. They stood at the door and called to the prisoners, telling them they were Americans. The seals asked the hostages to follow them, but the hostages wouldn't. They sat there on the floor and hid their eyes in fear. They were not of healthy mind and didn't believe their rescuers were really Americans. The seals stood there not knowing what to do. They couldn't possibly carry everyone out. And then one of the seals, the folk singer's friend, got an idea. He put down his weapon, took off his helmet, and curled up tightly next to the other hostages, getting so close, his body was touching some of theirs. He softened the look on his face and put his arms around them. He was trying to show them that he was one of them. None of the prison guards would have done this. He stayed there for a little while until some of the hostages started to look at him, finally meeting his eyes. The Navy SEAL whispered that they were Americans and were there to rescue them. Will you follow us? He said. The SEAL stood to his feet, and one of the hostages did the same. Then another until all of them were willing to go. And the story ends with all the hostages standing up and following the one who drew close to them. This is the wonder of Christmas. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that light and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The, world, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And to all who did receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Let's stand together. As we stand, I'd love you just to close your eyes. Just reflect on whatever the Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now, the words of Jesus. But I want to give an opportunity for people this morning. Maybe you've never taken that step to follow Jesus. The incarnation, Christmas is like that story of the Navy SEAL, that Jesus has come. Come as one of us to live and die in our place that he might rescue us, to bring life where there's death and light where there's darkness. 
but he'll never force himself into your life. He'll never coerce you, but he will come and come close. Come in sacrifice and come in great humility. Come in love and say, I've come for you. Follow me into light and life. And as every eye is closed, because I want to make this a really safe space for anyone here this morning, if you would like to follow Jesus, maybe you've been on the edge for quite a while, but you know what? I know enough to follow him. I've still got questions. But I actually do believe that he came for me. And I want to follow him. There comes a moment where you need to go, you know what, am I going to stand up and follow him? Or am I going to stay here? And I want to just give that opportunity. No coercion. I want to just want to give that opportunity. Maybe you've never done that. And the way to do that is just simply say, yes, I do. I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to come forward. You're not going to have to do anything except this one thing. As every eye is closed, I'm going to count to three in a minute. And all you need to do is raise your hand and go, you know what? I'm going to follow him. Just so I can pray for you. Just, just between you and God and me that I can pray for you. So on the count of three, just raise your hand if I want to follow Jesus. This is my first step. Okay, one, two, three, just raise your hand. Great. All right, you can put your hand down. So Jesus, just say this, echo this prayer in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. He hears your heart. Jesus, thank you that you came for me. Thank you in my brokenness. In my darkness, you loved me and love me now, and you came for me. And I want to follow you. I want to follow you out of this cave of darkness that I'm in, into the light and life you have for me both now and forevermore. Thank you for the great sacrifice you've paid to make this happen. Now fill me with your presence. You're alive today. By your Spirit, fill me with your presence that I may know you and be a child in your family. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who raise their hands, I'd love you to just do a couple of things. Uh, with people who you came with, maybe say, hey, that was me, I raised my hand. Or if you want to, you can come forward and say hi at the end of the service. I'll down, be down here by the right. But this is the first step of you following Jesus into the life and light he has for you. This is the true wonder of Christmas. That he came. He came for you. Let's worship together.